hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, uh, maybe not time willing, because I'm looking at the clock. We may not have time. Uh, we had a good fellowship time, lots of prayer requests, so we're kind of a little short here on time. I wanted to finish up 1 Peter 5. We're picking up here in verse 8, and if you look, there's only about seven verses there to finish up. So we'll see how far we get here in our sheets tonight. So main subject here tonight, this is almost a topical, if you will, because once you see verse 8, we're talking about the enemy. We're talking about Satan. And what happens is anytime the subject of Satan comes up, there is generally two responses. Response number one when it comes to Satan is let's not talk about him, okay? It just makes me feel a little weird, a little creepy. So let's just pretend that he's not there and let's just pretend he doesn't exist and let's just talk about Jesus. My response back to that is always the verse you have in the middle of your sheet, First, Second Corinthians 2.11, we're not supposed to be ignorant of who he is. But we're supposed to have an understanding of who the enemy is. We're supposed to have an understanding of how the enemy works and how he acts. So therefore, we need to know that. We can't keep our head in the sand all the time. The next response I normally hear about Satan is everybody has Satan behind every single tree and every single thing that ever goes wrong in their life. I had somebody say one time, somebody made the comment of, oh, you know, the enemy, he's just trying to bring me down. Satan's trying to bring me down. And this person said, you know what, I don't think I'm that important that Satan chose to pick on me out of the six billion people in the world. There is something, too, of where we almost give him too much credit, too much power. When I first um, was, I should say, when I was in Sunday school, and even after I first got saved, I almost had this envisionment of Jesus and Satan, I hate to even say this, almost being that idea of equals and like just pound for pound going at it here. And when you really study out the Bible, and I'm getting ahead of myself here a little bit, Jesus created Satan. Jesus is God. Satan is a created being. It's us and an ant. I mean, it's just one of those little pictures there that we have to remember who he is. We have to remember his limitations, but we also have to remember the power that he has. So let's just get right into this biblically and see what we have going on here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, by Sylvanus and our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. She who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, let's look at this. Verse 8 is our main verse here. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We have a tendency to forget we are in the midst of a spiritual war. The reason why God gave us Ephesians chapter 6 is to remind us every day is a battle. We're running short on time, so we can't go look at every verse I wanted to today, but if you're taking notes, write this one down. It's Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12, it says, "...where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of the unseen world." What there is, is there's a spiritual battle going on that we don't even realize that we don't even see. And so that's why God said in Ephesians 6, He gave us this whole idea of armor to put on. Now think about it. If you don't think you're in a battle, why would God say to put on armor? That's the problem that happens a lot of times. Those Christians don't think they're in a battle. As soon as you get saved, as soon as you get born again, you put this huge bullseye on your back. Because before you got saved, you, you weren't a threat to the enemy. You weren't saved. Well, now that you got saved, you're doing stuff for the kingdom. You're moving the kingdom of God forward through his power and might. You're now a threat. 
For you that have gotten baptized, you know one of the things that we always say at every baptism service, as soon as you make this public proclamation of baptism in Christ, you are putting the biggest bullseye on your back, and the enemy will do whatever he can to hit you back. Because you're making a public stand for the Lord, he's going to push you back. It is a battle, and we don't realize it. I'm a big history buff, and I've shared this story with you before, and it's a, it's a sad story, but it's a revealing story. I read a book a few years ago back on uh, D-Day. And it was all first-hand accounts, witnesses of D-Day. And the guy said they really didn't know what they were getting into when they landed on Normandy for D-Day. And so what happened was he wanted a picture of himself. And so he asked one of his friends, he said, hey, I'll give you a few bucks. You get off the boat in front of me, and then you take a picture of me getting off the boat, landing on Normandy here for D-Day. So we'll have a picture of that. So they were coming up, and they didn't realize what they were getting into. The boat landed. His friend ran off, turned around to take the picture, and guess what happened? The guy got shot and killed. And it was the idea there that he said is at that point that we woke up and realized what we were in. I think a lot of times as Christians, they come and they'll say, you won't believe what's happening. What's happening? Everything's falling apart. I, I believe that. I believe everything's falling apart. Why? Because that's the world we live in. Did you catch this in First Peter here? Look at verse 13. Where are they living? They're living in Babylon. They weren't literally living in Babylon. That is a term that the church used for this decayed state that we live in. It could have been referring to Rome specifically, but the Bible also talks about us living in Babylon. We live in a fallen, cursed world. And as we live in the fallen, cursed world, look down at your sheets, look under background, it'll be point number three. According to 2 Corinthians 4.4 and John 12.31, Satan is the god of this age and the ruler of this world. You live in a fallen, cursed world. That's why bad things happen to good people. A lot of times people come up to me and say, how can a God of love allow this to happen? If God really is so powerful in control, why does he allow these things to happen? He's not in control. Now listen, don't take those words and run with it the wrong way. He's God. He's God over everything. But for this season that we're in right now, he has allowed us to choose the ruler that we chose, which was the enemy. When we allowed sin into the world, in Genesis chapter 3, the world came under a curse. And when the world came under a curse, Satan became the god of this age, the ruler of this world. It's not because he's so powerful that God can't overtake him. That's not what it is. I'm going to make sure that point comes across clear. If you were with us in our Revelation study, you know in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20, Christ comes back and rightfully retakes the earth. And to be quite honest, it's not even a battle. But... At this season of life we're in right now, Satan is the god of this age. He's the ruler of this world. And so when things happen in this world and people say, how could God allow this to happen? Why does God do this? Sometimes I say, God doesn't want these things to happen. This is the result of a fallen, cursed world that we live in. It's a battle every day. And we have to remember that. And sometimes we forget that he is a roaring lion looking for whom to devour. Now, real quick... Let's move on here and look at our response. If you look here in verse 8, different translations will say different things. Be sober, be serious, be vigilant, be watchful, resist him, be united. Verse 9, it talks about the brotherhood. See, we're supposed to realize that, yes, walking with Christ is joyful, it's exciting. We have great fun weeks like vacation Bible school. We have babies being born. We have marriages going on. Those are exciting, fun times. But we also had at least four people lift up prayer requests tonight with deaths. It's a sad world we live in sometimes. Many health issues. And so we have to remember in this world we look at, yes, there is an overwhelming joy. Paul wrote, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we do rejoice. But 
We have to remember we're in a battle, so let's be watchful, let's be sober, let's be serious, let's resist the enemy, and let's be united together as Christians. Those are the four points that Paul, excuse me, Peter is trying to tell us here tonight, is you need to have those things. Because when you have a seriousness about your faith, you understand what's going on. When you're watchful, you realize there's things that can trip you up. You resist the enemy. It's an ongoing battle. I remember one time I had a guy come into my office and I felt bad because he walked away depressed and he came in happy, and that's not good counseling. But he came in and he was struggling with sin. One of the sins he was struggling with was lust. And so he said he was struggling with lust. And I said, okay. And he goes, you know what, though? The way I look at it is I just got to get to the point where I'm married. And then lust will never be a problem for me in my life. And, and I said, listen, I said, I'm not trying to bring you down, but I did bring him down. I said, if I ever run into a guy that tells me he doesn't struggle with lust, it either means he's dead or lying. That's the way I always look at it. It is an ongoing battle to the day you die. And so I said, when you think when you get married, it's going to just disappear. I said, no, now you're going to feel even worse because you have all this love for your wife and you think she's the most beautiful woman in the world, but yet there's all this other junk that tries to creep into your life. So I see that word resist. I've been walking with the Lord 19 years. I have not found a single day where I can take the day off. There's, there's not a day. And what happens is I think as Christians is we reach a point where we feel safe. I'll just take my armor of God off. I'm not in the battle right now. I'll just, I'll just take the armor off. No. You, you are in a battle until you step foot in heaven. Keep the armor of God on. You resist him daily. You, you, you fight this daily through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is constantly looking to devour you daily. And that's why we need, verse 9, the brotherhood. United, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because what happens is, I go through things, and I think, I'm the only one that's ever struggled with this. Because no one else out here ever struggles with lust. No one ever struggles with, with language. No one ever struggles with anger. No one ever struggles with drinking. No, because we all come here, and we lift our hands in the air, we praise God, and we all walk out, and I feel I must be the worst Christian in the world because I still sin. Look here at verse 9. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The things I struggle with, Christians in China struggle with. Christians in Germany struggle with. Christians in Brazil struggle with. The same sufferings. We, we think that there's all these new types of sin just because it's more prevalent and easy to get to. There's been junk ever since day one, since sin entered the world. And that's what we have to remember, the same sufferings. So there has to be an openness of where you go to your brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm struggling with this, I need prayer, I need encouragement. And then what do you say to them? Well, you look at verse 10. Those sufferings you're going through, actually, look at these words, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, settle you. Now, we've already covered this, so don't think I'm skipping over that lightly. If you're wondering, well, there's a whole lot more to say about sufferings. Yes, there are. I encourage you to go back. I believe it was the second teaching we did in 1 Peter. We did a whole thing on sufferings, and we also did one about three weeks ago, I believe, in 1 Peter 4. So it's not that I'm trying to just lightly hit that verse, but we've covered that numerous times. Those tough times grow us as believers and as Christians. Now, we're going to take a break here real quick because we're going to get back into a little bit about who the enemy is. But anybody have any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered thus far here? Yeah, Carly. That we, we have quite the privilege to be born in the nation that we're born in, and we say this out here a lot. We are meeting here tonight. It is 7.50. Excuse me. Yeah, 7.50. We're meeting here openly, freely, under no threat. That's a blessing. 
That is a huge blessing. That is a huge blessing. Anybody else have anything they want to say here before we go on? Alrighty. Let's get a little bit of background on who the enemy is. You can look at your sheets here. We're just going to hit these quickly. Three main names for the enemy in the Bible. Lucifer, Satan, and devil. You can see on your sheets. Lucifer means light bearer. Now you've got to remember, go back to your background here. Look at the first point we have. He was created as a cherub. He was established by God to serve up in heaven. That's the origins of Satan. Satan's origins is not wearing some red suit with the pointy tail and a pitchfork down in brimstone and fire of hell laughing. No, that, that's not. The origins of Satan is a created cherub, a created angel by God, created by God to serve up in heaven. That, that was his original name, Lucifer. Now when you think of Lucifer today, it sends a chill up your back. Lucifer means light bearer. It shows his origins. He's also called Satan. That means adversary. That one makes sense. He's called the devil, which also means slander, which we'll get to that one a little bit. Look here at your background. We've already covered point one, the origins of Satan. I put scripture references beside this. I encourage you to go look at this and pray over this and study this. He fell because of pride. A lot of people wonder what happened. Well, if you read in Isaiah 14 there, it's called the five I will statements of Satan. And basically summed up as Satan says, I want to be God. Because I, I want my own kingdom, I want my own power, I want to be God. And so because of pride, he fell. And the Bible says when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. And so therefore, he set up his own little kingdom on this earth. And that's why our next point, he's the God of this age and the ruler of this world. When he fell, sin came into the world, and so basically the Lord said, fine, I'll let you have earth. But I'm going to reclaim it at the right time, at the right place, and that's what happens in Revelation 19 and Revelation 20. The mission, if you will, statement of the enemy, you can see there, right there, is John 10.10, 10, to steal, kill, and destroy. Once again, when I see things happen in the world that are just pointless acts of violence and, and immorality and just horrible things that just make you squirm, I always think of John 10.10, 10, the mission of Satan is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to do. What else does he do? Revelation 12 says he's accuser of the brethren. There's this heavenly scene that goes on where the Bible gives us a hint. You have God the Father sitting there. You have Satan standing before God the Father. And then you have Jesus, according to 1 John, he's called our advocate, which is really a Greek term that means defense lawyer. And so you got this Matlock scene going on up there in heaven of Satan making accusations against us. Once again, I don't think I'm that important enough that he's talking about me, but it would be something to the effect of, look at James. That's who you want to be the pastor of that church? That's who you want. That, the, the guy that still struggles with this, the guy that still acts like that, the guy that still does that. That is who you want to be leading the flock of Harvest Fellowship in Hamler, Isle. He's making accusations against me. Jesus says, as my defense attorney, it's covered. Blood of Christ, forgiven. And there's this heavenly scene going on. Accusations, defense lawyer, covered. And there's this amazing scene going on in heaven that we don't even get a picture of. Eventually, once again from our study in Revelation, we know in Revelation 13, God eventually says enough is enough and he kicks Satan out. He says, just, just get out of here, this is done. And so Satan is then cast down to earth completely and totally, according to Revelation 13. So that's the background of who he is. Real quick, if you flip your sheets over, just want to remind you of these three things. If you've ever taken uh, maybe a discipleship course out here at church or studied any theology, we don't use a lot of big theological words, but there's three words to describe God. He's omnipotent, which means all-powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at once. He's omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. It's important to note Satan is not any one of those things. Satan is not omnipotent. His power is limited. It's limited by God. Satan is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. He's not God. And Satan's knowledge is limited. He's not omniscient. Now, he knows 
the heavenly realm. He knows the Bible, and he knows the heavenly future. But he's not all-knowing. And it's so important to remember these things, because when you really study out who he is, yes, there is a power in him to steal, kill, and destroy, but his power is so limited when you really look at the Bible and what it is. Compared to the blood of Jesus Christ, his power is nothing. In fact, the Bible says in 1 John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As a born-again Christian, who lives inside of you? Holy Spirit. Well, it's not like Satan is more powerful than the Holy Spirit. No way. Holy Spirit is God. We have to remember who he is. We also have to remember how his power is also limited. So, and the last thing I'm going to share here before we take a quick break. We know the ending, Revelation 20.10. We win. He's cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. We know what happens there, without a doubt. Um, anybody got any quick questions, comments on his background or the limitations of who he is here? And I know we're kind of moving through some of this stuff quickly. Yeah. There is a case to be made for that. If I remember correctly, it's in uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, where if it says in, and let me see if I can find it here real quick. If not, I'll let you guys look that up. But I'm pretty sure it's in Ezekiel 28. It says, uh, what's it say here? When it's talking about Satan, it says, You are the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Ezekiel 28, and that's verse 12. And so a lot of people believe that Satan, as a created cherub of God, was a, uh, a beautiful creation, obviously. I mean, the Bible makes it clear. If you read in Genesis, uh, when God got done with creation, he said he looked at all creation and said, It is good. So Satan was part of that creation. He was good at one time. So Ezekiel 28 is really his background on that. Yeah, David. Yeah, it actually says, going on a little bit more than what David said, it says that when we actually see him, that we're going to be shocked and surprised, saying, this is the guy. This is the guy that brought down nations. This is the guy that was the one that caused all these problems. We're really going to be shocked and amazed at the man behind the curtain, at how powerless he really was there. Like I said, just like you know what David is mentioning there too, Ezekiel 28, I really encourage you to look at that, especially picking up in verse 11. You really get a neat background onto who he is. Anybody else have anything? Yeah, Ryan. I've heard a theory that, um, as Michael was mentioning, that since Lucifer is a mentioned angel mentioned by name, they may have been that, that is something. Yeah, there are. That's, that's something you know is a little pet peeve of mine. There's only three angels mentioned by name in the Bible, just like Ryan said there uh, Gabriel, Michael, and Lucifer. And yes, we know that the role of Gabriel, and we know the role of Michael, especially being an archangel. Some people have said that maybe Lucifer, when he was created, was one of one of the more powerful ones. Hence, when he fell, maybe that's why a third of the angels fell with him, too, is they, they followed him. So it's quite possible there. Yeah, Carly. Is it Michael? Uh, I don't think it says it's going to be Michael that shoves, shoves him into hell. If I remember correctly, in Revelation, it's an unnamed angel. It is, let me check it here real quick. It says, um, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him. So it doesn't say for sure who it is. It just says an angel, which I find fascinating that we put all this power and emphasis on Satan. But according to Revelation 19 and 20, when Satan is bound, it's just one angel that does it. Why? Because the power is the Lord. Satan is powerless. I, I, I want to stress that. He's powerless compared to God. Yeah. 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 And, and that's a good one there, too, and I recommend you to, to look at that. Is in the book of Job, if you read in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2, Job is attacked by the enemy. 
But when you read Job 1 and 2, the only reason he's attacked by the enemy is that God allowed, God allowed that to happen. And so it gives us a little bit more of a heavenly scene of what's going on. Satan had to go get permission to touch, to touch the Lord's anointed there. Anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Steph. You know, it's funny you mention that because when you use the word power, it made me think of that reference in, in Hebrews because we did a teaching a while ago and I can't remember what it was. But when you talk about the power of the enemy, the Bible is, is very silent on the power that he has. And one of the few references that he has is the power of the fear of death. And that's a lot of what the enemy has is, is it's, it's fear. It, it's not a power that is a power that is, is something to be afraid of. It's more of just a fear of what ifs. And, um, you know, you may have heard the story before and... Um, Oh, what's the guy's name? I'm not picking on him. He's got the funny last name. Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth. Thank you. There's a story with Smith Wigglesworth where he, if I remember correctly, if someone knows the story better than me, but Smith Wigglesworth was in bed one night and woke up and he said he saw at the end of the bed, it was Satan, if I remember correctly. And Smith Wigglesworth saw Satan. He said, oh, it's just you and went back to bed. Because it's that idea of his power is limited. I mean, it is. I mean, once again, we, we grow up with this mindset of fear and, and his power is limited. Now, the Bible also said we're supposed to respect it. We're supposed to respect who he is, and we have to understand that. But when it comes to his power, it is so limited. That is such a biblical concept. Rose. False evidence appearing real. Oh, I... We, we do. I, I had a situation this morning. I got a phone call about something, and I had that brief moment of, okay, what about this and this and that? And it's just like, well, hold on here for a second. Just, just settle down. And we do. So often we get ourselves worked up over assumptions and what if this happens and what about this. And it's just all worked up over things that have no basis in fact. And then generally, I'm not trying to pick, you run into somebody, well, I know this is what's going to happen. Uh, we don't know everything we think we know. So we just got to trust. Trust the Lord there. False evidence. False evidence. Hey, let's finish this up real quick. This won't take long. Look at the end here. How does Satan work? Three things. Lies, twisting the truth, and deception. You can see there in John 8, 44, Jesus said he's the father of lies. He just flat out lies. There are certain cults. There are certain false religions. There are certain false truths out there. They're just lies. Just absolute lies. Next one you see is twisting the truth. I, I, I put this quote here by the enemy in Genesis 3, 1. Has God indeed said? That's what he does. He takes an element of truth. And he twists it. We have some cults and false religions that are just lies. But we also have some cults and false religions that have enough element of truth that when you stop and you look at it, they're just taking truth and just slightly tweaking it. It's still twisted. It's twisted truth. And if you look in Matthew 4, where Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by the enemy, Satan's quoting scriptures left and right. He's just quoting them out of context. It's twisted truth. And the last one... And this is what I want to finish with. It's our last reference here. Can you turn to 2 Corinthians 11? This one I think is very important for us to look at. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 15. We know he lies. We know he twists truth. But according from 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 15, we, we know what we have going on here is it's just plain out deception. Let's just look at this real quick. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. He uses deception. He looks good. He sounds good. He is the pastor on TV in the three-piece suit holding a Bible in his hand. 
It is, it is a deception of who he is. And why does God allow this to happen? If you go back and study out the law, there's a great passage there, and I don't have it written down in front of me, and I have to go look it up. But there's a great passage where God comes out and says in the law, I will allow false prophets to come into your midst and give you false prophecy. He goes, I will allow you to do it. And he goes, I'm allowing you to do this for you to be tested to see whether you will believe them or go back and see if it's truth. God says, I purposely allow false things into your life to test you to see if you're really going to go back to the truth or if you're just going to believe the deception. Same thing still happens today. There is a deception out there. I don't know how many times people come to me and say, hey, I saw this guy on TV. I'm just like, no, no. And, and then it's like, oh, oh, he was good. He was good. What's his name? His name was, and I was like, no, no. And, and, and I obviously am not hiding my face. Well, they go, what, you don't like him? Did you hear what he said? Well, what, what's wrong with him? He's preaching right out of the Bible. Yeah, he is, but... I happened to flip over to some of the Christian stations just the other day, and there was two guys on, and I seriously, I, and I'm not exaggerating, it made me sick to my stomach. Now, I always make this grandiose statement, not everybody on TV is bad. I want to make sure that's clear. There's probably 2% that are good, but there's a whole lot. There is a whole lot that give Christianity a horrible, bad name. I mean, horrible, bad name. And, and I, I won't even go into detail because I won't stop. It... It's deception. Just because the person has a Bible, just because they're quoting Scripture doesn't make them right. And you may be saying, well, does that include you? Yes, that includes me. Check out everything anybody says. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. As the Bible says in the book of Acts, be a Berean. Check it out. Make sure it's in line with God's Word. If it's not lining up with God's Word, run. Just run from it. So, Big topic tonight. We kind of condensed it into a short little thing here. So, anybody got any final questions, comments here before we close up? Yes, Megan. Stay away from the Discovery. But, you know, don't, don't pick on the Discovery Channel because it's through the Discovery Channel that I, I found out who Jesus really is. And it's through the Discovery Channel. I know where he's buried. I know where he was born. And even through the Discovery Channel, I've seen his wife and kids. So, don't, don't pick on the Discovery Channel. They know more about Jesus than I do, according to that. So, yes, Lisa. Oh, definitely. Yes, we'll definitely pray with them. Pray for them, I should say, uh, before we close up here. Anybody else have anything before we close? Let's pray then. Heavenly Fathers, we just come to you. Thank you for the time tonight as we just learn more about you and your word. And uh, it's always fun to finish up a book, always fun to start something new. Just give a guidance and wisdom on where you want us to go next. And just like your word says, Lord, help us to find that balance, to not be ignorant of who he is, but at the same time realize the power that you have, Lord. Help us to walk not in fear, but in faith. Bind the enemy in all ways. Help us to resist him in all ways, Lord, and stay steadfast. And, Lord, we do want to lift up to the people in Colorado. Comfort, Lord, be with them. Healing for those still injured and comfort for the families experiencing loss. We lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.